Hallelujah. On yesterday, while I was at work on yesterday, for a quick testimony so that we can bless the Lord together, I was at work on yesterday, and when I went to lunch, we had a robbery in the place. And it happened while I was gone out of there. And then when I come back, it was all over with and everything was secured in the way that it was supposed to be. I just thank God for life today and that much more abundantly. Amen. I thank him for his protection. I thank him for his love, his mercy, his kindness that I'm able to be here today with safe, safe and in his arms and amongst his people. Amen. We got something to bless the Lord about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank him today. We ask that you would stand with me as we would go before the Lord with our scripture today, our Old Testament and New Testament scripture. Our Old Testament scripture will be found in Proverbs chapter number 12, verses 1 through 3, followed by Matthew chapter number 7, verses 7 through 12. When you have it, say amen. Hallelujah. Matthew. Proverbs chapter number 12, verse 1. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. A good man obtained favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter number seven, starting with the seventh verse. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. And or what man Is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and of the prophets. Amen and amen. Put your hands together and bless the Lord for his word, for his word is true. Hallelujah. And it Hallelujah. will not return unto him void, but it shall yes, accomplish whereto he sent it this day. Amen.
worship you in the spirit. We worship you in the truth. We worship you in the spirit. That's what we're going to do. We worship you in the spirit. We worship you in the truth. We worship you in the spirit. That's what we're going to do. We worship. We worship. We 
worship you in the truth. We worship. We worship you in yeah. the spirit. That's what we're going. That's do. what we're going to do. We worship. We worship you in the spirit. We worship you in the truth. We worship you in the spirit. That's what we're going to do. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord God, thanking and praising you for one more chance, Lord God to come together to lift you up that you may draw all men unto yourself, Lord God. And we thank you for that opportunity, Lord God. Father, we ask that you would just have your way in this place, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. We thank you in advance for meeting us at the point of our need, Lord God. For you are what we need you to be when we need you to be it, Lord God. You are our everything, Lord God. And we thank you for that, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus today, Lord God. Hallelujah. We're grateful, Lord God, to come together, Lord God, one more time, Lord God. To see you move in us, through us, and all around about us, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. Father, we just ask that you would just have your way in this place, Lord. Everyone underneath the sound of my voice, everyone that's on their way, everyone that desires to be here that couldn't be here, Lord God. Father, we ask that you would meet them at the point of their need, Lord God. And we thank you for it right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Have your way in this place, Lord God. Remember our pastor, Lord God, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, Lord God. Those things that he prays to you about in private, Lord God. Lord God, you said in your word that you will reward him openly, Lord God. And we thank you in advance for that coming forth, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. We just bless you today, and Lord God is grateful, Lord God, for the things that you've done, doing, and going to manifest in our lives and the lives of them that is connected unto us, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, we ask that you would save someone, heal someone, deliver someone this day in this place, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Put your hands together and bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless your name, oh God. Oh, we want you to reign, reign down in this place. Shower down, shower down, send your spirit, Lord, rain, rain on us, oh, breathe, breathe on us, shower down, shower down, shower down, shower down, shower down. Send your spirit, Lord. 
seen the sun rise today? Who's seen the sun rise today? And what was the first thing out your mouth? Hallelujah. Thank you, God. So let it rise. Let all your praises rise to the heavens. Let all your praises rise to the heavens. If you were able to walk in here, give him praise. If you're able to see, give him praise. If you're able to make a cup of coffee or drink some water, make some praise. Hallelujah. Right? Right? Let it rise. Hallelujah. Let it rise. Let's give him praise for a minute. Let it rise. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Come on. Oh, yeah. Let the glory of the Lord. Rise among us, let the glory of the Lord rise among us, let the praises of our King rise among us, oh, let it rise, let the songs of the Lord rise among us, let the songs of the Lord rise among us, let the praises of our King Rise among us. Oh, let it rise. See, oh, let it rise. I see, oh, somebody singing with me. Let it rise, let it rise. Come on. See the praises of the heaven. Come on. Let the glory of the Lord, let the glory of the Lord, let the glory of the Lord rise, rise among the glory us. of the Lord, the glory of the Lord rise, rise, rise among the praises us. of our King, the praises of our King, the 
king. Yeah. Rise among us. Let it rise. Out your mouth, say, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah
yeah. everybody say yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. Such a sweet name, I know. Amen. Pain, struggle, hardship. Still, give him the praise. Praise him like it's already been done because it was already done, right? Amen, 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 amen. Yeah. Amen, 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 amen. How many people got a testimony here? Everybody should put every single hand, leg, follicle, earlobe up. Everybody should go and put their hands up. Amen, 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 amen. And we're giving praises. When you're in that moment, when you're in pain, when you're in sorrow, when you're in every single aspect or situation in your eyes as a situation, you go ahead and call father, right? When one of my sons fall on the ground, what's the first thing they call? Daddy, right? If anything happens, you're like, daddy, right? What's another name for daddy? Abba. Abba Father. I'm very sure through the many a nights people had to call Father. I know I have. Even with being 35, I still feel like I went through a whole life of pain. Right, we're going to pray offer the sacrificial offering. Is everyone giving it, giving the chance to give today? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Anyhow. That's called a joyful noise, everyone. That's called a joyful noise, everybody else. Has everybody had a chance to give them to the Lord? Amen, amen. At this time, we're going to pray over our blessings. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for those who were able to give, oh God. We thank you, Lord, for those who were not able to give. Oh God, we ask you to send abundant blessings, oh Lord, over these households, oh God. Those who gave and those who were not able to give. So that at the next appointed time, oh God, they will be able to give. Oh God, stir up the hearts of your people, oh God, so Amen. that we can bless this house, oh God. Lord God, meet the needs of every household present, oh God, and watching on the live stream, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I was saying before, when you're in pain, we really don't know what to do. You call Abba, Father, help me, right? So just allow him to hear you when you sing these words. You're more real. 
ground I'm standing on Your thoughts define me You're inside of me You are my reality oh. Everybody cry out, Abba, Abba. Abba. If you call 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen, 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 amen. Let's give him praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, hallelujah. Amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. a child of God, but it didn't change the fact that he is my Abba, and I belong to him. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just celebrate the Lord. 
celebrate the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Truly, we give honor to God. We thank the Lord for his grace, his truth, and his ever-present help. Amen. How many of you understand that the Lord is always on your side? He's always looking to be a blessing to you because he loves you. You are his children. You are his children. And as children, you have the right to expect the love of a father. Hallelujah. And no one will love you better than Jesus. No one will love you better than Jesus. Man will fail you. Your earthly family will fail you. But there's something about the unfailing love of God. Something amazing and wonderful about the love of God that never fails. The presence of God that never fails. The power of God that never fails. Hallelujah. A mighty God we serve. Hallelujah. Again, I thank the praise team for laboring before us to lead us into the presence of our Lord, to set the atmosphere for a move of God in this place and into all the places that are joined with us through various means. We definitely salute you and we thank God for you, each and every one of you. We're excited about what God is doing in this city. We're excited about what he's doing just in this house. Amen? We're believing by faith that everything that God has promised will come to pass. Hallelujah. I didn't say maybe. I didn't say might. But it will come to pass. We're just believing God for it right now. Hallelujah. Because he can't fail, right? The God that we serve cannot fail. Is that, is that not what the word declares? And he watches over his word to let us be confident in understanding and knowing that he One thing he cannot do is fail. The other thing he cannot do is lie. Hallelujah. He can fail and he can't lie. So that means you can have confidence in exactly what he has declared. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want to, by way uh, of announcement, we thank those that have been giving to the ministry Uh, We salute you and appreciate the assistance, and we encourage you, please, if you are tuning in, to go to our website at www.graceandmercyfc.com and continue to donate to this work, this work, this ministry, the Word of God here, the praise of God here is ministered in any way in your life. We're asking that you help us continue in that same vein. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that if you sow a seed of $1,000, you're going to get a $1,000 seed blessing because I believe that that is a bunch of nonsense. But it does take finances to continue the work and to reach souls for Christ. So we're asking that those of you that can and will, please help us continue to do what God has called us to do. Amen? Hallelujah. Today, I'm directed by God to discuss with you the tale of two cities. 
the tale of two cities. I, I don't know how much of this I'll be able to get through. I don't want to worry your patience. I don't want to hold you long, but I'm urged by God to bring some revelation to two cities that are in existence in our current society. And this may seem a curious topic of discussion, but I believe that during our journey through the scriptures, God will allow us to see the bright line that separates one city from the other city and give us clarity and sight so that we may make an informed decision about which city we truly belong. The worst thing that you can do to yourself is believe you live in one city, but in truth, you live in another. You can look at these cities as the godly seed and the ungodly seed. And I'm going to use for the foundation of this lesson today uh, our uh, biblical text will come out of the book of Genesis. Genesis will be our guide. And you know uh, that I really appreciate and love the book of Genesis, and uh, I believe that you will come to appreciate, as I have, how well written and well organized the book of Genesis is. It's written in an orderly and logical way, and it has an excellent outline structured in it. Uh, chapter 1, in fact, tells us about the creation of the universe, including the creation of mankind. So if you're trying to figure out where you come from, look a little bit further than your mama and your daddy. Hallelujah. And go back to the first chapter of the book of Genesis, and it will tell you where you come from. Chapter 2 gives us more detail about mankind and the world in which we live. Chapter 3 tells us what happened to mankind and what happened to the earth. Chapter 3 reveals how man brings sin into the world and how he and his world are judged and condemned to corruption because of it. But chapter 3 also reveals God's promise of a Savior and of a godly seed of people who will survive and serve God through the coming centuries. Now, chapter 4 and 5 show how that seed or the descendants of the woman branch out into both an ungodly and a godly line of people. Now, some of the woman's seed will be godly people and some will be ungodly people. Uh, don't look at your neighbor right now and try to figure out who you're sitting next to. Hallelujah. Uh, just pray for your neighbor and they hopefully will pray for you. But chapter 4 and 5 discuss the children of Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman upon the earth, and their seed, their children, and their descendants, they stand at the head of the ungodly and the godly lines of the human race. Notice I said human race, because in truth, there is only one race on this earth, and that's the human race. There are many ethnicities, there are many cultures, but there is only one race. Uh, this is not a multi-race congregation. This is a one-race congregation because there is no black race. There is no white race. There is no Hispanic race, and we need to get away from this foolishness. There is only one race, and that is the human race. Hallelujah. 
Now, Cain and his offspring represent the ungodly line of civilization and society. The ungodly line, civilization, the world system is represented in the offspring of Cain. Abel, who's going to be killed by Cain, and then Seth, his offspring, represent the godly line of civilization and society. It's Abel who worships God as God dictates, and it is Seth and his seed who, according to the word of God, call upon the name of the Lord. Now, God makes a, a wonderful promise to Adam and Eve after they sinned, and you see, after you have to recognize the love of God in the fact that while they were caught in sin, he still loved them, and he promised them a way out of the mess that they got themselves into. How many of you as parents can, can relate to your own children getting into some trouble and then coming to you for a bailout. Now, as, as most parents will do, you will give them some, some uh, parental advice and you'll share with them where they made their mistakes and where they made their errors. But when you have the means, you will more often than not help them recover from their fall. God, how wonderful uh, Elder read the scripture this morning. If if we, being evil, know how to do good unto our children, how much greater God to his. And we are all the children of God. But God makes a wonderful promise to Adam and Eve after they sinned. And he promises a seed or descendants or children through whom a godly line of people was to be born. And from that line, he promised a savior would come to the earth. Now, chapter 4 and 5 show us the beginning of God's promise being fulfilled. Chapter 4 and 5 give us the birth, the development, and the corruption of both the ungodly and the godly seed or the descendants of the human race. And the fact to remember is this. From this point on, all of history is a struggle to preserve the godly line or the seed of the human race. In my studies of the book of Genesis, I found the fourth and fifth chapters of Genesis, uh, which outline two cultures from the earliest years of Earth's history and in, in, in the infancy of the development of the very culture by which we struggle today, the culture of the godless and the culture of the godly. There are only really two cultures in the earth. There are subcultures that deal with uh, your environment and your uh, families and things of that nature. But there are really only two cultures that exist. There's only one race, and that is the human race. And there are, at uh, the core, two cultures that exist, and that is the culture of the godless and the culture of the godly. Okay. The two chapters that we are talking about give us a portrait of what has been termed the two humanities. But since we're dealing with cultures as well as with individuals, let's look at this in the term of two cities. It makes it a little bit easier to comprehend and to visualize. And often, I don't know about you, but for me, visualization is the best means for me to learn anything. Now, this is the distinction invented by St. Augustine as the basis for his monumental and highly influential work on the philosophy of history entitled The City of God. 
And according to Augustine, the history of the human race is the history of just two groups of people, each having a very distinct origin, a distinct development, distinct characteristics, and distinct destiny. He wrote that there are two cities formed by two loves, the earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, and then there are the heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. Now, in Augustine's work, city simply means society. The earthly city or the earthly society has uh, as its highest expression the city culture that ends in Babylon. And it was uh, for Augustine in his time, Rome. Now, the other is the church, which is composed of the elect of God. The former is destined to pass away while the latter is blessed by God and is to endure forever. What city do you belong? The fourth and fifth chapters of Genesis discuss these two humanities, as I have already explained. But so far as Genesis goes, the origin of these cities, these civilizations, these societies, these theologies, these ideals, these moralities is found actually one chapter earlier in the words of God to the serpent following the temptation and fall of Adam and Eve. God cursed the serpent. Then he gave this word both of decree and prophecy. See, oftentimes when you look at God and you begin to realize that you are the expressed image of God in the earth, you should engage life in the same manner in which God engages life. And when God engages life, he doesn't engage it from a uh, place of defeat, but he always engages it from a place of victory. And because he is victorious, when he speaks, it's not a question, but it is a declaration. And sometimes we have to learn, as God did, to speak in the now the prophetic things of God, that the things of God might come to pass in the future in which we are headed, but in the past that God has already dealt with. God declares prophetically, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He's going to crush your head and you will strike his heel and Uh, We find here, in actuality, three sets of antagonists in this story. Uh, The first is the serpent and the woman. The second is the descendants of the serpent and the descendants of the woman. And lastly is Satan himself and the ultimate descendant of the woman, which is the Savior of mankind, Jesus Christ. Now, these are in conflict one with the other, but the victory of the godly seed is assured by the ultimate victory of Eve's specific descendant, Jesus. The line or the descendants of the godly city are secured in victory because of a specific descendant of the woman to fulfill the prophetic utterance of God, which is Jesus. Let's go to the text, Genesis, the fourth chapter. And I will read for your hearing the first through the seventh verse. Genesis 4, 1 through 7. And the Bible declares in this passage of Scripture, 
And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she bare again uh, his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. You may be seated. Thank you. As we read this text and begin to analyze it in the context in which it was written, we find it is a very significant passage of Scripture and one for us to understand uh, not just the struggle that we're in now, but the victory that is secured for us. Uh, there are central lessons that are dealt with uh, that are true, and there are central lesson, lessons that are dealt with uh, in this text that relate directly to true and false Worship, true and false approaches to God. Worship is an approach to God. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor there is a right way, right way. and a wrong way to do the same thing. Now, in today's vernacular, we might say it a little bit differently. We, we, we might say that it's the difference between keeping it 100 or faking the funk. We have a lot of folks that are in that body of Christ that are really good at faking the phone. And it seems that as every generation passes, there are more faking the funks than there are keeping it 100. Now, the text centers around the first two children that are born upon the earth that are referenced in Scripture. And I, I want you to understand something. Uh, for us to really understand and read the Bible in context, we have to understand that what God is declaring in his word is central to what he's trying to get you to understand in the moment. It does not necessarily mean that these were the only children or the, uh, the first children uh, born of God or, or of, of Adam and Eve. These are the first children that are born that are referenced in Scripture, and it's important that we understand that because you will find later, uh, let me bust some people's bubble, you will find later uh, that uh, Cain is going to have as a result of what we're getting ready to talk about an encounter with God, and God is going to judge him for what he did. And then uh, Cain says to him something very peculiar, if just Cain and Abel are the only children of God, but all of us are the seed of Adam and Eve. Cain says, if you... Cast me out, something bad is going to happen to me. And God said, I'll put a mark on you that when you go into these cities, cities, places, these places where other folk are, where, where these other folk come from, these other folk, if all of mankind is the seed of the seed of Adam so that the plan of God is for all mankind, then there had to be uh, other children that are not specifically referenced. Why? Because they have no connection to what God is doing in his plan of redemption for us. 
so we, we sometimes get things confused in the Bible and, and they become confusing because we again take things out of context and we are quick to say something that the Bible does not necessarily say in the manner in which we take it. But as reference to Cain and Abel, these are the first children of Adam and Eve that are referenced. And in one brief statement or description, whole periods of their lives are covered. There's not a whole uh, biology lesson, uh, there's not a whole biography for you to read on Cain or Abel, but just in a few brief scriptures, periods of their lives are covered. Now, our minds, they thirst and they reach out for more and more and more information, but the Holy Spirit has given us only this very brief record of their lives. But upon a microscopic examination of the text, you will find much more information is given when you closely examine the very statements that are spoken and the descriptions that are given, and in some cases, even the very words themselves reveal things to us. Let's envision this, uh, what's being said as you would a Broadway play. Again, I'm a visual learner, so let me put you in the mindset of me. I, I know uh, you are all intellects in here, and I'm a little lower than that, but if you would just come down to my level just for a moment and just help uh, me to explain better to you what the Word of God is saying uh, in such an infantile way, uh, let's look at this as a Broadway play. As the playwright expounds upon the story, uh, that breaks down into scenes, we can better comprehend the very theme or the central focus of the story that's being told. Amen? Uh, well, scene one is the birth of children. Scene two then becomes the work of Abel. Uh, he's a herdsman. And the work of Cain. He's a farmer. Scene three then deals with the personal worship of Cain and the personal worship of Abel. Scene four begets the response of God to the worship that was rendered in scene three. Scene five deals with the reaction of Cain. Scene six deals with the reaction of God to the reaction of Cain. Now, these are the scenes of the text that I want us to visualize. Here we start with the birth. Uh, there's the birth of Cain. Uh, you know, to have a child, that meant Adam and Eve had sexual relations. And that produced a child. I know we create children all kinds of ways today. Uh, but back here in this day, they didn't have in vitro. They didn't have, you know, banks that people deposit things in to save and freeze until they can be used later. Uh, but the Bible declares that Adam knew Eve. That meant that they got intimate. Amen. I tell you, when you read the Bible, the Bible is very interesting. Hallelujah. But he knew her, and she became pregnant. Now, remember, there had never been a pregnancy or a birth on the earth before this that Scripture talks about. So we can look at this in the sense of the first revelation of pregnancy. I was teasing with someone the other day. I don't, I don't even remember who it was. I was talking to, um, but I can just imagine the line of women when they get to heaven looking for Eve. 
Like Eve's got a house like way out on the west side of heaven that's so far to get to because she know when the rest of the women get to heaven, they're going to be looking for her, especially the women that had children. You mean to tell me that I suffered everything that I suffered because, uh, yeah, I, I need to find you and have a conversation with you. But here we have the first pregnancy that is discussed. Adam and Eve had been created by the direct power of God's word and breath. They were not born, they were created. But no more were created in this fashion because after this, the entirety of the human race is to be reproduced through the process of conception, pregnancy, and birth. Conception, pregnancy, and birth. Now just imagine the experience of Adam and Eve throughout the nine months, their surprise and their joy. When Eve begins to gain a little bit of weight and her stomach begins to uh, enlarge and Eve begins to feel movement within her and Adam begins to feel the growing child kick in the belly. Uh, today the joy of expecting mothers and fathers is a wonderful thing, but the joy of Adam and Eve must have been a joy beyond imagination. Just imagine being the father and the mother of the first child ever born on the earth. The reality of that. But there was more to Adam and Eve's joy than just the pregnancy and birth of a first child. There was the hope of the promised seed or the savior of the world. You have to remember, the birth of children come after the fall of Adam and Eve. And God had promised that he would send the savior through the seed of the woman, where there was only one woman. Now, I know some people that believe in all kinds of crazy stuff will tell you that there were some other women out by the, you know, during that time, but I'm here to tell you there were not. Adam and Eve was all there was. There weren't any fairies floating around. There weren't any vampires running around. God promises that the seed of the Savior would come from the woman. And Adam and Eve, they believed the promise of God. As a matter of fact, their belief was so strong, it's recognized in the name God allowed Adam to give to Eve. Woman means to give life or the mother of all living. Let me take a sidestep here just for a moment and throw this out to you. This would be what they would call in the director's cut of a remake, the cutscene. You've heard preachers use the phrase, name it and claim it. And then associate the name it and claim it movement with some type of faith. Well, that's a load of I'll let your imagination finish that statement. Because if we're to be biblically correct, and the statement is to be born out of what is true, then it should be God names it, we claim it. You see, your faith cannot come from what you say, but what God has said. I'm believing and standing upon what he who cannot lie has declared. I'm standing on what God has prophetically uttered over 
my life. We have to be very careful because even in making declarations like that, the name and then claim it, running around, laying hands on, you know, some girl that you think is cute, you naming it and claiming it. Or because Israel marched around Jericho, you running around some house you want to buy seven times, naming it and claiming it. Honey, let me tell you, if God didn't name it, you ought to leave it alone. That's just a little extra for you that are here in the house. Amen. Let's get back to the story. So Adam and Eve, they're, they're, they're bound to uh, be hoping, if not expecting, that this child would be the Savior. Uh, God's prophetic word to them was, your seed, your descendant is going to be the Savior of the world. So the expectation then is the first thing that pops out of me is going to redeem us, and we're going to get back into the garden. You see, they were in the garden. That was a good spot. That was a spot God prepared. The Bible declares that God prepared a garden and put them in it. It's a good place. That was like, that was the house on the hill. Amen. And then they got evicted. They got put out. But then God said, I'm going to restore you through a seed that comes out of you. So what do we do? We looking for the first seed. I can see Eve now. Come on, Adam. Come on. We got to get busy. Something's going to come out of me that's going to restore us to the right place, back into the garden. The expectation had to be almost overwhelming because they believed what God had promised, that they were going to be restored. They were going to be uh, returned to a place of perfection so that they could return to the Garden of Eden, which was their paradise. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, where do you get that from, Bishop? I don't really see that written in the Word. Well, uh, you got to remember, you've heard me say this before, but how we name our children today is different than how they named children uh, in the past. And the, and the name Cain, uh, it's a Hebrew word which means to acquire, get, or possess. So when the child was born, Eve declared that her child was to be called Cain because she acquired or gotten a man or what she believed was going to be the seed that delivered them from God. She thought that the Lord had given her the promised seed, the very child who was to be the deliverer of the human race. So she wanted her son named Cain because her child had been promised and was now given by God. Was given by God. Ah, but then there was the birth of Abel. Now, the Hebrew word means vanity, breath, temporary, meaningless, or empty. Now, why would Eve name her second son Abel? A name that meant empty or meaningless. Has she already learned that Cain was not the promised seed or savior? Had she become disillusioned by the fact that Cain is not going to fulfill what God has declared? 
Was she disheartened and downcast because she sensed that the promised Savior was not to come at least any time soon? You ever been in trouble? You want the trouble to be over like right now. I, I don't want to continue to suffer. Like I recognize I got me here. I recognize that. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I recognize it. But I want to get out right now. As fast as I got in it, I want to get out of it. So was she disheartened? Because she sensed that she was going to be removed from the promise of God to the return to the garden longer rather than sooner than she thought? Now, some commentators think this. Was Eve just sensing some sense of emptiness and meaningless of life itself? She and Adam were most likely having to work, and they had to work hard to cultivate enough land to provide food and to survive in a fallen and harsh environment. Now, some commentators believe this. But I want you to look at Scripture. Scripture does not say why Eve was sensing the vanity or the emptiness or the meaningless or even the brevity of life itself. By naming the child Abel, Eve was saying that human existence is sometimes vanity upon vanity. Life sometimes is empty and meaningless and it is always temporary, ever so short and, and brief as a breath itself. Mankind so often senses the vanity of life or the emptiness and the meaningless that are in it. The Bible declares in Job 7 and 6, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. In 9 and 25, he says, now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. Psalm 39 and 5 says, Behold, thou hast made my days as a hand breath, and mine age is nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Psalm 49 and 12, Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. Psalm 49 and 17, For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Psalm 78 and 39, for he remembered that they were but a flesh, a wind that passeth away and comes not again. I could go on and on and on. Uh, the, the, the famous preacher Solomon, the king, the wisest man, said, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I said in mine heart, go, go to now. Uh, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is all vanity. There are many more scriptures that deal with this idea of emptiness. There are times when we ourselves, if we take an honest look at our own lives, get to a place where we feel like it's all meaningless. Why am I even here? What is this all about? There's no doubt that when it feels like what has been prophetically spoken over your life is so far out of your reach, you begin to feel empty 
on the inside. But God is faithful. For he will not let one word go unanswered. Heaven and earth will pass away, but every word of God shall come to pass. So here we have the birth of two starkly differently named children. Expectations are different. So we go into scene two. Two is the work of Abel and the work of Cain. Abel is a herdsman. Cain is a farmer. Now, uh, there are some things that I want to point out to you. First, their profession meets a very basic need of man, and that is the, the need of clothing and the need of food. Their chosen professions were honorable and, and they contributed to the uh, needs of the family and the needs of the society being met. Second, they learned their profession from their father. Now, I want you to remember God himself taught Adam how to clothe his family with the skin of animals. Genesis 3 and, 1, uh, 3 and 21, read it, check the text. God teaches Adam how to clothe himself with the skin of animals. This is Adam in the time of being discovered mentally that he was naked, covering himself in trees and, and whatnot. So God teaches him how to properly clothe himself. And God instructs Adam to till the ground. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And as the father, he would teach these things to his children that they too might diligently work the land. Now, there are two great lessons that are seen in the profession and the work of just these two sons. First, our profession, in fact, all our professions should always be for the good and the betterment of man, the society in which we live, our family, to meet the very basic needs of our family's life. We should never be engaged in any profession that damages, destroys, tears down, or hurts our society. Second, parents should always teach their children to work and to work diligently. And they should always teach their children to choose an honorable profession, never to work at anything that hurts or destroys life or brings down the family. Industries that would bring down the family or the society in which we live deal with uh, industries that uh, are drug-related or uh, immoral or that deal with crime. Every child, every person should always make whatever contribution they can to life and society that is good. Because every one of us owes life and society, uh, you know, the best of us just for the privilege of living in a beautiful and wonderful creation. All the filth and crime of our cities and our societies is due to the dishonorable and destructive professions that some of us have chosen to engage, to allowing illegitimate industry to pollute and destroy the very environment and ultimately the quality of our lives, working or allowing ill-gotten uh, benefit from such deceitful work. We have to be very careful that we don't become like the one city where everything is okay. 
Because it's not. It's not. Let's switch to the next scene. So we have the birth and we have uh, the, the idea, uh, the explanation of their birth. And then we have their jobs. God is setting something up. Look at your neighbor. Tell your neighbor God is setting something up here. So scene three is about the worship of Cain and the worship of Abel. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave scene three with you, and, and we'll pick this up later. Scripture indicates that Cain and Abel approached God at a specific time and at a specific place for worship. Now, the specific time is indicated by the words in the process or course of time. And the Hebrew means at the end of days. So what day do you think this might be? Well, Scripture does not necessarily say. It could refer to the days of the harvest. There's a very special time when Adam and his sons wanted to set aside something very special, uh, a day of worship and offering to God. However, it most likely refers to the end of the week, the seventh day of rest. Remember, God had already blessed the seventh day by this period of time and set that day apart as a day of rest and a day of worship. You can check the text, Genesis 2 and 3. But I want you to see this. It could also refer to the first time that Cain and Abel worshipped on their own. The first time that they, apart from their parents, worshipped God. It may refer to the day when the two sons cut the apron strings, so to speak, and became men on their own and began to approach and worship God on their own. This may be the first time that the two sons approach God independent of anyone else. Now, the specific place is indicated by the fact that both Cain and Abel brought their offering to a particular place for worship. Well, what was that place? Scripture does not say. And to guess is just that, a guess. However, we would expect that Adam would establish a place of worship. Adam's soul was just like our souls, except more so unfulfilled and thirsty for fellowship with God because Adam had known perfect fellowship with God. And in his fallen condition, he was bound to be thirsty deeply for restored fellowship with God. He was bound to seek more and uh, more for restoration to perfect the fellowship that he once had that he's dealing with now. If knowing God in a personal way, if fellowship and communion with him is the summit of experience in life, then Adam must have sought after God with a diligence seldom matched. Having known God in perfection and having experienced perfect fellowship with God must be insatiable in the heart within Adam. Adam must have established a very special place, an altar where he and his family would seek the face of God and worship God faithfully. Where then was the place where Adam and his family worshiped? Well, Scripture does not say. It would only be logical and rational for Adam to worship God right at the entrance to the Garden of Eden, the very place where he had known God face to face. Now, many uh, theologians hold this position 
thinking that God actually instructed Adam to build an altar and to worship him at the entrance of the garden where the cherubim stood guard. Now, I want you to understand that God seems to still talk with Adam and his family probably from between the cherub. Genesis 4, 6 through 7 and 9 through 15 lead us to this conclusion. Now, this fact plus the fact that the sons bring their offspring to a particular place for worship gives very significant weight to the place of worship being at the entrance of the garden. Now, the garden's entrance would certainly be the dearest and most meaningful spot to Adam's heart, for it is the place where Adam and God dwelt together. Adam would have been very careful how he approached God. He would want to please God to the utmost when he approached God, ever hoping to be restored to the perfect fellowship he once knew. And this would cause Adam to enter a place of worship. He would approach God exactly as God would instruct by the way of sacrifice. So what am I saying? Adam would have taught his children the proper way to worship or the proper way to approach God. Adam would have been very, very careful to teach his family this. Because how you approach God is paramount to the conclusion of that engagement. In fact, Adam would have shared time and uh, personal experiences with God and how wonderful it was to be in fellowship with God face to face. The communion that he had with God. Now, to the major subject of these two verses in this particular scene, three, the personal worship of Cain and Abel. But I had to build for you a foundation of understanding of why the worship that is depicted in the text would seem to be all right on both accords. But you'll find that it is not. So first, there is the false worship of Cain. You see, Cain approaches God and offered produce, which is the result or the work of his own hands. You see, Cain was a farmer, so he took what he produced, and he brought his produce as an offering to God. You can imagine this was probably the best produce that you'd ever seen. It was the first of Cain's harvest, the very best that he could have brought. The brightest colors, the most vibrant tasting of all the things that he produced. It was his best that he brought to God. Then there's Abel's true worship. He approaches God and offers a sacrifice, a substitute life to God. One of the things I've always told you and will always tell you is that everything in the word of God points to Jesus. You see, Abel approached God by taking the first, the very best of his flock, and sacrificing the animal and offering it to God. You see, God's response to the worship of Cain and Abel shows us something about the plan of redemption It shows us something about understanding the difference between our work and his. You see, God looks at Abel with favor. 
and he accepts his offering. But he looks at Cain with disfavor, and he does not accept the offering or the worship of Cain. And there are a couple of points I want to leave with you before I take my seat. God did not just accept and reject the worship. He accepted and rejected the person engaged in the worship as well. And it's important that you understand this. Because when you go to God wrong, when you go to God out of alignment, when you step to God in not the right manner, when you make God common and you God, you see, Abel and his offering are accepted. Cain and his offering are rejected. This is of critical importance to you and I. It was the offering that made the man acceptable or unacceptable to God. Let's fast forward to today. How you approach God through your work or the work of Christ is paramount to whether God accepts not just your approach, but you. You see, it was the offering that made the man either acceptable or unacceptable to God. God is already revealing in this the plan of redemption. I cannot make myself right. It is impossible for me to approach God in a standard of righteousness based upon works of my own. And God, from the very beginning, from the first children that are indicated in Scripture, wants to get this point past. He shares with us a story of Cain and Abel because it's important that how you approach God gives you access or denies you access to the favor of God. Scripture is very clear about this. This is, in fact, is what the whole thing is all about. It's, it's the first major lesson in the word of God. The worship of God. A, a false or a true approach to God. What was it that made Abel's offering acceptable? Well, the New Testament tells us, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh, Hebrews 11 and 4. Well, what was the sacrifice of Abel? The sacrifice of an animal. It's life. It's blood. Why did Abel sacrifice an animal? Because his father taught him to approach God through the sacrifice of an animal. When Adam sinned, God killed an animal and clothed Adam with its skin. You see, we think upon cursory review that God was just giving him a nice leather suit to wear. But what he 
was telling him was that the covering or the manner in which you approach me is through the sacrifice, the shedding of blood that was yet to come. That which I've already prophesied that out of your seed, out of the seed of the woman is going to become the sacrifice that's going to allow you to approach me in a state of perfection. When we don't approach God in the right manner, you see, by this very act, God teaches Adam that sin causes death. You have to understand something. See, God is trying to teach us something so that we stop doing things. Sin causes death. It causes the necessity for an innocent substitute to sacrificially die so that we might be clothed and our shame and guilt removed. So if we're going to approach God in a manner in which we have perfect fellowship, we have to be covered in the sacrifice, which is not a work of our hands, but of that which is innocent, of what has transpired. This points to Jesus, the promised seed, the savior of the world. Adam was bound to teach his family how to approach and worship God. And this is what Abel is doing. He's approaching God just as his father would have taught him. You see, Abel had no other way, none whatsoever, to know that such a thing as killing an animal and offering it to God would be acceptable to God. Adam is bound to have taught him this approach to God. I want you to understand something. When children come into the world, they come into the world with no knowledge. Everything that you know was taught to you. Hate is taught. Inferiority is taught. These are things that are taught to you. We've been learning since the day we were born. Now the New Testament says that by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. By faith, he offered a more acceptable. When you approach God through Jesus, God will not only receive your worship, but he will receive you. But when you approach God through any other means, he will not only reject the means, he will reject you. You see, God would accept 
Abel through the sacrifice of an innocent life. Abel's approach and worship was to be counted righteous because he believed and approached God through the sacrifice of an innocent life. The, the, the sacrifice points to the ultimate plan of redemption, which is the sacrifice of Jesus once and for all, for all mankind. His sacrifice upon the cross for the sins of men. Abel might not have known the full revelation of what was to transpire in Christ, but he believed that God accepted the sacrifice of the innocent life as a substitute for him. He believed as his father, Adam, believed that God accepted the sacrifice as bearing his sin for him, as suffering the judgment of his sin for him, which is the judgment of death. Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Peter 2 and 24. Who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. First Peter 3 and 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. You cannot approach God through any other means but Jesus. Jesus himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I'm not afraid to declare it. I'm not afraid to tell you the truth. There is no other way. If you approach God through any other means, God will not only reject the means of your approach, but he will reject you. I don't have time to get into Cain, so I'll just stop right there. As you're visualizing, as you're visualizing what you're dealing with in life, and you're trying to determine in which city do I belong, look at how you approach God. Watch how you engage God, which includes how you engage others you see sometimes when mom and dad are around we act right sometimes but when mom and dad aren't around or when people that we feel we have to act right in front of aren't in our presence we do what, what we say we grown enough to do. You know, when you were a kid and your grown people were talking, they would tell you, stay out of grown folk business. So then you spend most of your adolescent life trying to grow up so you can just do grown folk stuff. 
You didn't even really understand what grown folk stuff was. It was just stuff that you weren't allowed to do when you were in your adolescence, and you wanted to be grown, so, so now, what do we do? When we get of that age, we say, I'm old enough or I'm grown enough to do grown folk stuff. I'm grown now. Now, I may not do it in front of you, but I'm grown when I want to be. So I have this idea I can just do what I want and that there's no accountability attached to what I do. When you don't realize that what you do reflects who you are. It, it, it's a bright light into the city in which you live. We act right in front of people that we think have some level of influence or authority over our life, and we, we put on this uh, facade of, of being right, but then when we're behind closed doors, we do what we want to do. We act how we want to act. We talk how we want to talk. We lay with who we want to lay with. We drink and eat whatever we want to drink and eat. And then, we, and then we, we get back in front of other folk, and then we act like we're totally different. We, we live schizophrenic lives. We don't know who we are from one day to the next. But you have to be real with yourself if you're going to understand which city you live in. And I know that these types of sermons aren't necessarily popular because it puts the onus back on you. Because God allows you to determine how you will approach him. And what you have to understand is, is that from the moment of your waking breath, you are always approaching God in what you do. Because you are the expression of God in the earth everywhere you go. Everything you do has to be an expression of who you are in him. We get we get to the point where, you know, behind closed doors when nobody's watching, we're looking at stuff we shouldn't be looking at. We holding conversations that we shouldn't be holding. We, we, we talk like we're so sweet, yet behind closed door, we're the most abusive, verbally abusive people on the earth. And then we wonder why when people come from the street into the house of God, they have problems. Because then we just take our meanness that we're hiding from our fellow believers out on the people that come in. We want to make them right, really, because there is a thirst in us that we be right. But we choose not to be right, and we've been rejected of God. So now we're upset, and we take that out on those that come in the door. Then you wonder why the church can't remain full. The church can't remain full because the church keeps running the people out of the church. We're so me-focused and me-centric that we, 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 we forget. 
When I approach the sinner that comes to the door, I'm approaching God. For this is a soul that has come to be restored. Where are you restored? You're restored in worship. We have to be the expression of who we are supposed to be in Christ Jesus. You hear me say this all the time. The life I now live. I live through the power. That simply means through the life of Christ that is in me. I'm dead. Me was buried in the sacrifice of the innocent. I've been clothed. The Bible declares that there is a garment for which God will put on you. Why do you think this has to be removed in the rapture? Why does this corruptible have to put on incorruption? This mortal has to put on immortality. Because God wants to clothe us in the perfection that is his son. What does the Bible say? The Bible declares, I don't know what I'm going to be, but I know I shall be like him, for I shall see him as he is. I will in that moment live out the prophetic utterance that I have been translated from death into life and forever shall I be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me just, let me just, let me just stop right there. A tale of two cities. Which city do I live? How do I approach God? Where can my emptiness be filled? Oh, Father. Help us today to understand the truth of your word. Draw us close to you. Draw us close to you. I want to be right. Adam got to enjoy a type of relationship with you. type of fellowship with you that is promised to us. And I'm thirsty for it. I'm thirsty for it. That I might know you better. For what does it gain me if I acquire all that is in the world but in the process lose my very soul 
Father now. Abba. Here I am. In all my brokenness. But you are my healer. You are my deliverer. You are my perfect peace. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, I'm a citizen. I'm a descendant of the godly seed. Not by works of my own, but by Jesus and my faith in what he finished for me. Help me to understand what that means. That I might walk in that truth every day of my life. Whatever days remain, Father, let me come to a better understanding of what it is to be a child of God. That I might truly do what you created me to do. And that is to spread your glory in the earth. That where I am found, people would see you. In all manner of conversation, in all manner of behavior, bless me, Father, and keep me. Hear us this day as we come before you. Our arms open, our hearts open. Meet us now in the name of Jesus. Heal our broken hearts. Restore the peace that has been stolen. Deliver us from the hand of evil. We come to you through Christ, our Savior. We worship you through Christ, our Savior. We believe in Christ and his finished work for us. The fulfillment of your spoken prophetic utterance way back at the beginning of the human race. And by faith we receive now your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's celebrate the Lord.